Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us, and it ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am a super fantastic. Happy Black Friday. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm, I'm super thankful, I guess. Uh, this is our Thanksgiving week of shows, right? We're... Uh... We've had we've had uh, all positive news all week, and I think we plan to continue that for the Friday show, right? It's it's rolling right on through Friday. Black Friday is a very happy Friday here on the World Transformed. I we were talking before the show. I think we're we're, we're both maybe dealing with a little bit of a tryptophan hangover, just a bit, maybe <laughs> just uh, a little, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making rather merry yesterday, as Bob Cratchit explains to Mr. Scrooge on the day after Christmas in A Christmas Carol. But uh, we're going to push on through that cloud because we just got so much good news to share. We've been doing a good news of Palooza all this week. We decided we wouldn't take a take a week off and we wouldn't take a week and do a retrospective show. We would just keep pushing on with good news. And we've got some great stories again for tonight's show. And why don't we just jump right in? We've actually got more than we usually do on a Friday, so we're going to waste no time. Our first one, heart failure could be treated using umbilical cord stem cells. Now, this is really huge. And we've yeah. talked about this a couple of times over the past year. One of the medical conditions that kind of marks the end of life is heart failure. Right. Patients who are suffering from other things run into this, and you can be treated for the other stuff, and you've still got heart failure. Your heart, your heart has become damaged. You've experienced failure of your heart, and there's really nothing up to now that they can do for someone who has suffered from heart failure. My, my father, who was treated for cancer over and over for years and years, over that period of time, his heart wore out. And in the end, when he died last year it was it was the heart failure that 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 finally did him in you know you can you can cure the cancer and you can recover from a lot of things but up to this point they haven't been able to fix hearts once they've once they've gone down that down that street it says yeah, here, I mean, half of all heart damage heart failure, is permanent you know is you know has been the uh, it's been the state of the art you know we we can we can do a lot of things but once your heart is damaged it's damaged and you know, I, I suppose if, if the patient were strong enough uh, and there was a heart available, you could just do a transplant. But I mean, right? That's right. That's the best they can do for somebody. And that's that a limited heart. number of cases where they yeah. where that's even on the even an horizon yeah. for somebody. Yeah. yeah, very limited. It says half of all heart failure patients are expected to die within the first five years after the diagnosis, and the ten-year survival rate is less than thirty percent. So it's a real killer. I mean, it's uh, a yeah. We know that cardiac disease is one of the major uh, one of the major causes of death, and this is how it often happens: heart failure occurs, and then there's and then there's no way back. Well, except now it turns out that there is. They're putting on a trial. They're comparing patients uh, given an intravenous injection of stem cells from umbilical cords with patients receiving a placebo, and some early encouraging results that stem cells can get into the heart 
and actually start rebuilding, actually start correcting some of that damage. It's very early, but when you think about some of the progress that's been made in some of these areas we've been talking about, extremely encouraging to think that there's anything they can do that pro provides any positive results. That's right. And uh, and this is uh, the, the patients on stem cells that have been kind of cultured outside their body and then re-injected usually. I think that's what they're doing here. And so there's uh, you know no no chance of rejection as with a transplant or or other problems like that. This is uh, this is well actually these are umbilical cord stem cells. So I'm thinking maybe uh, these these uh, came yeah, from somebody yeah. else. Uh, my, my apologies. That can't be a uh, adult stem cell. But I guess they, what they do is they do their very best to match it. And uh, yeah. And, uh, they, and uh, are they able to cult cultivate these stem cells once they've got a sampling of them? Can they can they make as many as they want? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing probably they, they can. That, that, that's, I think that's, they can. I think yeah, that's that's probably the good the good side about this. I imagine rejection right. issues might be something that they would have to deal with, but it does speak to a potential therapy where, as you were suggesting, you take the patient's own cells. Right. And we we've seen how in Japan they've been making tremendous progress, taking mature cells and kind of, what was it, you kind of back them through time and turn them back into pluripotent cells. So there might be, a, there might be another technique where they don't use uh, umbilical cord stem cells from another patient, but they use the, the patient's own stem cells and they might find even, even better results. Anyway, it's something to track because I, I think we'll, we'll see a lot more with this. This is a, this is a big killer. And, and very uh, encouraging, very encouraging. Yeah, great to see some progress on this one. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a, it, it would be a rare family, say, in the United States that hasn't been touched at some point uh, by by this uh, by this issue, Phil. So you're right. I mean, this is this is good news for a lot of people. A lot of people. absolutely. So, and, you know, for and, and for all of us looking towards our futures, I would think. Well, that's that would be one less thing to uh, to have to worry about now. Let's move to something that hardly touches anyone at all anymore. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. This is, this is basically one guy, okay, one guy. It's, it's Paul Alexander. Uh, he lives in the Dallas area. He's one of the last patients, Phil, that uh, depends on an iron lung to live. And, uh, you know, back in the 50s, uh, there was this epidemic that swept the United States, uh, a polio epidemic, and uh, Jonas Salk um, uh, came up with uh, the vaccine very quickly, it was it was it was remarkable, uh, considering the state of the art in the fifties, right? Uh, how quickly he was able to come up with a vaccine for polio, and uh, you know we were quickly able to uh, to you know stamp it out in the United States. Um, it now appears, Phil, that uh, within the next year or two, at the most, uh, that uh, um, it will be announced that polio is extinct in the wild. Uh, throughout the world, so no more polio victims, and that, and thank God for that, right? Um, Absolutely. And so that's a, uh, you know, that's a, um, uh, you know, so there's good news there. And uh, this, but this, this is interesting. Uh, uh, Paul Alexander, who has uh, ha had to use an iron lung throughout his life, uh, he is able to get out of the iron lung uh, uh, for so short periods of time. He managed to. Uh, go to law school and be, an, and be a practicing attorney and just, I mean, just a remarkable life this man has had. He's, uh, uh, he's, he's writing a memoir thanks to uh, technology that he uh, depends on, right? He, uh, um, he, you know, does voice recognition and so he's able to write, uh, to write and uh, it's just, uh, you know, so he's had a, he's had a challenged but interesting life and, uh, but here he is at the end, you know, uh, 
at the end of his life, he's an elderly man now. Uh, and um, the last of the iron lungs was built 50 years ago, right? Mm. And so yeah. he's in, and so there's like, <laughs> he may have, you know, two, I believe he, uh, he actually owns two or three of these iron lungs. And so he may have, you know, the, the last iron lungs in Texas, you know, that are, uh, and, uh, and, and these things. Even we were, should pause for a moment because when yeah. we introduce new technologies, we, we explain what they are. Now we're talking about a very old technology. And I think a lot right. of people are probably scratching their head, right? What is an iron? What, lung? what is this thing? This iron lung? Okay, to which it's like a it's like a refer. giant chamber. Uh, the patient has their head on the outside of the chamber, but uh, um, the rest of their body is inside of it, and it creates negative pressure inside this iron lung that uh, forces your uh, the the body to take in oxygen. Right. Okay. Right. It forces air into the lungs. Because uh, in these polio patients, they, their diaphragm was destroyed. The muscle that, uh, that brings air into your lungs was, uh, is destroyed in, in, in a lot of these patients. And, uh, and, uh, he was, uh, and, and that was his situation. So he's, he's, you know, he, he has to use this iron lung. In order your diaphragm to, uh, doesn't work, so you've got this yep. machine that's actually kind of using, it's like vacuum, right? It's, it's, yeah. It, neg- it, yeah, it's creating negative pressure. To creating negative pressure. So your head's sticking out the other end, and when that negative pressure occurs, your mouth automatically and nose are going to start sucking air into your lungs, right, just because of right, the right. – it, it's, it's like a reverse pump almost on your replacing, – replacing your lungs. Literally an iron lung. Sorry, I just – Yeah, those no, who, no, uh, you're, you're right. There's, this is so old that, yeah. uh, and, you know, the, that uh, there's not a lot of experience uh, among most people so, uh, regarding this technology. So It's, it's anyway, a clever, so. clever, like 19th century, you would almost think, solution. I wonder when they were actually invented, yeah. but it's an old, old technology, and it worked, but we've yeah, moved on to other things by and large. In their, and as you pointed out, it's, it's, there's been so much progress on the major disease that people had that caused it, which was that, that put people in them, which was polio, and now suddenly you've got this situation yeah. where well go ahead you got this lone guy with no yeah. with no medical backup because there's nobody that can service these things or no nobody's manufacturing these things so he he puts he puts out on the internet gets out on the internet and just puts out a call help you know I'm I uh, my my iron lung is wearing out and I depend on it to live well a a local um, a mechanical engineer in the Dallas area answered the call and came and came and met him and uh, saw you know saw the condition of this ancient iron lung that he depends on and went to work on it and he had to take it apart you know he, fortunately um, Mr. Alexander had uh, one iron lung he could get in while he the other one was being taken apart he took the whole thing apart reverse engineered the thing and because he says the big parts were fine. I mean, that, that doesn't wear out. It's these little parts that do, and uh, he had to machine them himself. And so uh, Mr. Alexander now has, uh, you know, perfectly functioning uh, iron lung. He's not, he's not worried about that. That's uh, the first time in years that he hasn't worried, well, you know, what do I do now that there's no, you know, nobody that makes them or services these things? And uh, because he's he's uh, he's got a friend that's uh, helping him with that, so that is you know to me that you know it's it's a challenging thing that uh, in a challenging life that he's had, but it's been a full life. He's uh, he's overcome so many obstacles, and um, and you know he's he, he he had somebody that came and helped him with that, and that, I thought it was just a good news story all around to me. Well, so, it is it is uh, terrific, and it it just goes to show you the age we live in. We're we're so connected, and 
we, we have this legacy of knowledge from the past that we're able to tap into if we need to once in a while, right? Um, yeah. There's something almost kind of steampunk about somebody going out and helping <laughs> you know, you know, somebody the, build an iron lung. To, but yeah, he but had it's to, what I mean, he needed, right? Hey, I mean, he said it's, uh, the, the, the mechanical engineer, they kind of were interviewing him as part of the story, and uh, he says, well, the extent of the manual I had was this, and it was like, uh, it was like a, a placard on the outside of the iron lung. I mean that wow. was all he. Yeah, that's all he had to go by, and uh, um, and so he he couldn't. He, he, there was no documentation whatsoever. Yeah, I mean it's because it's cool. Every now and then you hear about somebody getting some old piece of machinery working, and it's a fun hack, right? If it's an old right. motorcycle it, or an old washing machine or some crazy thing from the past. Here's a quaint old piece of technology, but the guy really needed it. And yeah, it's life or death for this man. So, yeah, and, and uh, he was able to do it. Well, let's move on from there, from yep. old technology to the very cutting edge of technology. This is a really interesting piece. Deep learning is eating software. We've got the perspective here of a programmer at Google talking about a big change that is occurring, how a few of these have been made public, but by and large it's happening across the board, as he sees it, inside of inside of Google, which is they're moving away from programmers developing code to more of a situation where they provide inputs and outputs and machine learning writes the code. And that, that's an interesting technological change. Yeah. But some of you might be saying, okay, but Phil, where's the good news angle on this? I don't see what the, what, why that's particularly good news. And in fact, from a, from a strictly how do we get software standpoint? It's not necessarily, except it, it's a faster and more efficient approach, and it's going to produce a lot more progress in oh. software development than, than we've seen every, up to this everything point. That we, every problem that we attempt to solve, Phil, uh, these days is, um, is, is pretty much a software problem now. That's um, true, yeah. And so it, to the extent that we get better at making software, uh, whether it's better or faster or whatever, to the extent that we get better at it, uh, that's good for every problem we want to solve. So, I, yeah, I see this. Is, there you go. To me, this okay. is this is good news. That is some good uh, news spin right there, Stephen. I think you're, I think you're yeah. exactly right too. And and to me, the the real implication here is for years we've been hearing that down the road somewhere software development would become this thing that the computer primarily does, and then we would all become software programmers because we would work with the intelligent machine, tell it what we needed, and it would produce the software. Now, you know, uh, literally a generation ago, uh, yeah. about, about 25, 30 years ago, I, I was hearing things like that. And, uh, and, and, you know, it took a while, but it seems like finally here we're at the dawn of it, right? Yes, now we see the means by which, by which it happens. It turns out machine learning is the, the thing that makes that happen. We always figured that we were going to teach computers to write really sophisticated code, and it turns out that wasn't the case at all. Um, all. All we've taught computers how to do is to recognize patterns and to solve problems, and the code kind of comes as a as a result of that. It's, it's, almost the, it's almost the afterthought. So this has evolved very differently than how anyone expected it to happen, but here we are now. And, and we know that this will, this will be the way regular people develop software because this is the way the most advanced programmers in the world are now writing software. And it's got to be kind of hard for some of these guys. You know, you think about it, you spend 10, 15 years becoming this code wizard. 
this guy who can just generate the most beautiful, powerful code in the world. And then you say, well, the machine learning algorithm does better. <laughs> it's, it's just, and we, we're not even sure what it's doing, but it's better than your stuff, right? That's got to be a little, that's got to be a little painful for those guys. But it's great news for all of us for exactly the reason you said, which is that every problem in a digital age is a soft software problem. And also it puts us all in that same position where pretty soon we're all going to be solving our problems this way. We're going to, we're going to see, yeah, we're going to, that, yeah, once we get, once we get the tools that make this a, uh, you know, where, where it's a, a, an interface that normal people can use, right? Here's yeah. my problem, Jarvis, right? Yep. Um, go to work. Let me give you it. some sample inputs and here's yeah. what I want to come out the other end. Jarvis goes to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. I, and I, yeah, I see, you know, we've, we were we were thinking before the show, Phil. Uh, you know, is this a good news story? We want to make sure we're you know. Good. Hey, it's it's fantastic news. It is so, a fantastic um, story, and it ties right yeah. in to this next one, which is how technology is leading us into the imagination age. We've talked quite a bit about this idea of the imagination age in the past, where basically human imagination drives the economy. This is a great read. Just follow the link and read it. But you can you can see a real connection between a capability for us to generate software just from our own ability to think up, this is my problem, here are the kinds of things I want, I'm seeing happen, here are the kinds of solution I want to happen to, to getting the solution. If, if we're going to live in an imagination age, you know, beyond the information age, if we're going to live in a time when creativity really is the big driver for how the economy works and we all get to participate in that, this machine learning is going to be a big a big driver of that. And I think we're, we're moving rapidly into that. And if there's one kind of big ray of hope on the horizon for, you know, what will we all do? How do we all participate in the economy? This is it. The imagination yeah. age is it. So read up on that, folks, and I think you'll see that, we're, that there's a, it there's mentioned a lot to be hopeful It mentioned about. the platform YouTube. Um, I'm going to tell you, that's, that's a huge uh, driver of the imagination age, isn't it? It's... Uh, I mean, young people, for example. I mean, when if somebody doesn't know something, uh, you know how to do a certain thing, YouTube is where it's at. I mean, that's uh, it's 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 such a uh, it's it's such a useful tool, and it's also a a way by which people can express their creativity. I mean, if you know how to do something, uh, you know you you put your video up there for other people, and so. So uh, yeah, that's that's uh, a big part of it as well. So it's turned cool. us all into lifelong lifelong teachers and and students. And I'll tell you, it ain't just young yeah. people, right? Anytime I run into any problem at all, it seems like increasingly I'm like, well, there must be a YouTube on this. Let me just there, yeah, out. somebody somebody's put up a YouTube video on this. Yeah, and not not only a lot of times it's like some mechanical thing. Anything in my house that breaks down or I don't know how to fix, someone <laughs> has put up a YouTube video that talks about that, right? Um, but but sometimes you just think about things like why do my shoes always come untied? There must be a YouTube video on this, right? And you look at them and I'll, like, oh, I'll, I can tie my shoes better, On a better way to double knot my shoes. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's all there. Yeah, you know, that's um, funny. And, and to, to, to the point where that that's almost kind of a miniature version of the deep learning um, solution. You know, it's like right, it, right. It, yeah, you know, well, it's like, well someone's already it's addressed this problem. Of, it's a driver of my little board game hobby, right? I mean, uh, I don't sit there and read rule books for these games, you know, I get on YouTube and let somebody else teach it to me. <laughs> How does this work? Yeah. Step me through that. That's, that's where it's at for me, you know, so anyway, that's, that's pretty cool. 
I, I, was, I was editing a video last week. I was using Adobe Premiere. It was my first, my first time using it, and I kept running into all these little, I don't know how to do this. And it never even occurred to me to look anyplace else, right? I yeah, would just, yeah. YouTube, how do you do this? Oh, how do you do this? And that's all there, right? Every, every possible um, situation you could run into, it's there for you. So ringing endorsement of YouTube on top of... <laughs> <laughs> From a couple of... On top of, geeks here, yeah. on top of uh, deep but, learning and, yeah. uh, and the imagination age. Okay, let's wrap it up here. An organism that regenerates could allow us to heal humans. It's talking about the gecko. And, you know, you cut off a gecko's tail, boom, grows a new tail, right? It takes well, it's a, more takes than that a, because, uh, you know, a lot of lizards can regrow their tail, but a gecko can regrow toes and, I mean, all, you know... Uh, all, uh, lots of different parts of a gecko's body remains. Uh, it, I guess it's like a they're covered with pluripotent gecko stem cells or something because they can they can repair lots of lots lots of parts of their bodies, which, which, which is so which is awesome. What, what they're yeah. what they're studying in this in this particular story is the tail. They've taken yeah they've they, they've taken stem cells from the tail and they're looking at these glial cells and they're attempting to understand how these work differently from other stem cells. And just as we, we were just talking a few minutes ago about this idea that you can take mature cells and reverse engineer them back into stem cells. Hey, what if you could sideways engineer them into glial cells, right? What if you could make them right. into cells that, that completely regenerate new tissues? I think that probably we will figure out a way to do that. We'll, you know, we will evolve humanity into a species that had this capability that we missed out on in evolution right if 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 we were if because i don't guess we evolved from geckos right that's you know that 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 tree split way back there somewhere that 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 branch split but somewhere along the line these reptiles uh they got a really handy capability there and we know that there are other species that have that worms and and so forth simpler species that can that can put parts back after they've been lost but i don't it's not something you see in any mammals at all right right and yeah. uh and, and and it's i've often wondered phil um which comes first do we get the luke skywalker hand that is like the perfect prosthetic that looks and functions exactly as good as the original right uh, or do we do we get the ability to regrow a hand right first? So which which do we get first? Because obviously, I mean, even if you have the perfect prosthetic, you would prefer to have a your own hand, and uh, and uh, over that. And uh, I, my thought is, stories like this make me think that uh, at some point we will uh, look at Star Wars and say, not only did they get R two D two wrong, you know, as if <laughs> a speaking robot is the you know is it's a hard part over AI, right? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, but they also got Luke Skywalker's hand wrong because it's. It turns out it's easier to regrow the hand than it is to create the perfect prosthetic. But uh, you know, I it I, I I find all of this fascinating and uh, glad to see some progress in that too. Well, I I think I think you're onto something there. The 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 big challenge is actually creating structures, and we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, just in tonight's show, we've talked right. about heart tissues we you know we've talked about how those those can be regrown from stem cells and then in the past weeks we've talked about how tremendous progress was made with this kid where they grew a whole bunch of skin they basically regrew all his skin form so we can make tissues 
But up to now, we haven't been able to make structures. And it could be that these, these glial cells hold the keys for that, right? So that you can right. not only grow some, some hand tissue, but actually get the bones, get the sinews, get the, uh, get the tendons and, and the structure, actually get the, the, the whole piece back. A hand is an extremely complicated thing. I don't know that there's any more complicated part of your body, right? <laughs> Lots of moving parts there, right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so it, it's, a, it's a big challenge to work up to. And a, and a human hand is obviously a lot more sophisticated than a gecko tail. But a gecko tail is a lot more sophisticated than just some heart tissue. Right, so we're you know we're, we're talking about leapfrogging from what the geckos can do to being able to do tremendous things for ourselves, and I, I think it's really cool they're looking at this. When you combine this story with some of the other things we're talking about tonight, really exciting stuff on the horizon, and perhaps most exciting of all, if we can just switch to the geek out, it's yet another example of science fiction movies coming true because we were talking about this before yeah. the show isn't this the very research looking at animals that can regenerate that led to the development of the hulk in the very first <laughs> hulk movie way back uh, yeah way back when ang lee's of the hulk uh that you're right that's exactly what they were studying his dad was looking at geckos and all that kind of stuff and you know the <laughs> okay the research took a turn in a funky direction but uh, but he was he was trying to make people live forever and he was, if I recall, he was, he was working on life extension, basically. And he saw, um, he saw regenerative capability in, in animals as the key to that. Well, I don't know that the rest of the Hulk will happen, but that part turns out to be prescient. Um, th this is, this, <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> this cool. Is, that was pretty yeah, cool. this is actually a, a valid line of research. Who knew? Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I've, we've mentioned uh, I've mentioned in the past uh, Timothy's fascination with uh, prosthetics. And Timothy's my oldest son. He's an uh, he's an engineering student now at, uh, at Louisiana Tech, and uh, um, his his fascination with prosthetics, and in particular, you know, uh, a prosthetic that uh, would allow, uh, you know, uh, basically a hollow prosthetic that serves as a lattice work for re regrowth of. Uh, uh, of a severed limb, but in the meantime, you have a prosthetic, right? Um, a, a, you know, and a, that's right. I, I, you know, it's a science fiction type idea, but uh, I think uh, you know, ultimately, maybe we get the uh, Luke Skywalker hand that's that allows Luke Skywalker to grow uh, his, uh, a uh, a replacement hand within it. Um, you know, over a period of time, I think maybe ultimately that's where we go. Uh, so that's. That's kind of cool stuff. Well, that well, just anyway, brings uh, everything together. So that's that's totally cool. Yeah. All right, now I got another. I got one more geek out, if I may, because uh, the the interstellar asteroid that we've been talking about this this object that entered our solar system from another star system. We've been talking about it over the last few weeks, and when we first introduced it, we thought, hey. It's a comet, right? When we first talked about it, it was a comet. Then it got a little closer, and they said, oh, that's not a comet, that's an asteroid. And now we're getting the closest look we'll ever have at it. And I don't know. The, you know what the line that comes to mind, Stephen? That's no moon, right? Remember that? <laughs> well, uh, so we'll never get another look at it. It's just on its way through the solar system. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah it's, not, it's not going into orbit or anything. It just happens to be passing through which is kind of suspicious in its own right, you know. But here it is. If you look at it, it's long and thin. And the picture I saw of it yesterday, speaking of science fiction movies coming true, it looked an awful lot 
like the big interstellar probe that shows up in Star Trek IV to talk to the whales. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. And this is not the first that. time that we've had news stories referring to Star Trek IV uh, making it come true. We, we talked about transparent aluminum years ago, and now, right. and now we've got this. So Star Trek IV turns out to be one of the most prescient movies ever made. Okay. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the future is coming to coming true, and it's all lining up. You no, know, and, and, and Mr. Scotty picking up the mouse and wanting to talk to the computer. Computer, <laughs> you know. I mean, he was voice recognition, right? <laughs> he was way ahead of the Siri, the whole thing. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Right. But yeah. now we got a more uh, a, a more current, uh, maybe the best photo of this we'll ever have. Assuming this is actually a photo over at Disclosed TV, maybe not the most reliable source of info, but. Uh, as someone points out, it looks a lot like a one of the fighters from Battlestar Galactica, right? Um, <laughs> I, I looked at that and I thought it even kind of looks like the Galactica a little bit. It looks like a big spaceship. And the story here is a mainstream astronomer says on Reddit that it's been named uh, Oumuamua, uh, excuse me, Oumuamua um, is not a normal space rock, that in fact it might be a spaceship. So I don't know. Uh, the, you, you, you know, your, your guess is as good as mine, but it's an odd-shaped thing, and it came from interstellar space. What do you think, Stephen? Is well, Star Trek uh, IV coming true? The particular true? direction that it came from uh, suggests that it's from Vega. And right. uh, Vega, of course, is the star that uh, uh, supposedly the, uh, the, uh, that signal came from in the, uh, in the science fiction movie Contact, right? There you so, go. <laughs> so there's a, there, there you go. There, there, there's that. So... Anyway, it's fascinating. Um, it's it's weird. It's weird. You, you, you know, when we uh, when we think asteroids, Phil, we think of something that's uh, you know maybe it's not spherical because it's not big enough to to be spheric, you know, to to crush itself into a ball. Right. But uh, usually, it's some sort of you know potato shaped thing at least, right? It's you don't you don't expect to see something that's uh, you know you got an aspect ratio of like. Ten to one, or whatever. Right. Uh, even if it's not, even if it's not a sphere, you expect if it's long like that, it would have broken into smaller pieces. Right. And, right. and it, it, assuming it originated in another star system, you know, it's been around for a long, long, long time, and it hasn't, it hasn't broken. Of course, there weren't a lot of forces acting on it out there in interstellar space, so that would, right. that would account for part of it. But if you follow this Reddit thread from from this uh, from the story on Disclosed.tv, they talk about a lot of just anomalous things about this. The shape, the fact that it's, it's not got a lot of dust on it is kind of interesting. Now, there are things that act metal. against... What's that? It appears to have, have a high metal content. <laughs> it appears to have a high metal content, which you would expect from an interstellar yeah. spacecraft, let's face it. Right. Uh, one, one thing that tells us that probably the aliens aren't there, that they're, they're, they're probably not going to be giving us a call or stopping by to talk to our whales or anything, is that it's tumbling. Through space, okay. So it's not on a, it's not on a nice. It's, uh, it's out of control. Yeah. Well, you think okay, this is this this <laughs> lost a space battle, you know, a hundred thousand years ago, right? And it's just been yeah. spinning through space ever since, right? I mean, there's there's all kinds of scenarios, but there's mummified aliens on board, right? I'm I mean, I'm not saying it's aliens, but Stephen, what's going on? Huh? What do you think? <laughs> It'd be nice if uh, it was in a an orbit that we could reach. And yeah. uh, we could actually get out and, and see this thing and, and see that it's probably not aliens. Uh, you know, uh, here's the funny thing, Phil. Um, 
you know, 10 years ago, uh, there were never stories that let us, you know, that we could talk about the, the possibility of aliens. Seems like credible stories. We were, there were never credible yeah, cred- scientific no, no, stories. No credible stories. You know, some, yeah. some, some, uh, some hick in, you know, in, uh, in the Appalachians or someplace uh, sees, a, sees a UFO. Now, uh, again, to our listeners in that area of the country, love you guys. Anyway. He, but, uh, hey, some hick in midtown Manhattan sees. Yeah, there you go. Some, some yeah, uh, Pennsyl- uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvanian hick, you know, sees, yeah. sees one land in his backyard. <laughs> and, that's, and that's all the, you know, that, so, you know, all that is is just fodder. For uh, for shows that don't try to be, <laughs> you know, it's National Enquirer stuff, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. But uh, but nowadays, it seems like every six months or so, we get some sort of story where it could quite possibly be aliens. That's the you know the answer to this to the to this head scratcher. Now, so far, we've not had anything to confirm any of these stories as being uh, from aliens, but uh, it's being raised as a possibility. It seems like on a regular basis now, Phil, uh, by serious people. I, I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating. So uh, whether whether or not this turns out to be a spaceship, uh, um, it's it's still a weird space rock and uh, deserving of some attention. And uh, um, I also think it's we've, we've uh, reached a watershed moment when serious people actually will say, yeah, it's, you know, one possibility it's a spaceship. We're looking at all the possibilities, and one is that yeah. this is a that this is an interstellar spacecraft. Um, my right. my friend David Fish, who I think I mentioned uh, talking about a, an earlier story that we discussed this week, left a comment on this, and once again he said it's never aliens, and then he put in, in parens evergreen post. Uh, <laughs> actually, David, aliens. that's an evergreen comment on your point, but I will reply yeah. as I did again. Yeah, it's never aliens. Until it is okay, so we'll uh, right. we'll keep we'll keep tracking this. We'll keep tracking this one. Uh, we won't get a lot more information on this, but hey, now that our eyes are open and we see things coming into the solar system, we'll see what comes next. And yeah. who knows? The uh, first contact. I, I could tell be you, right Phil, out. when it when it turns out to be aliens, I'm going to start styling my hair like Giorgio Socalas. You know, he's there. He's the. I, I'm not saying it's aliens, but <laughs> but well, aliens. let me tell you something, Stephen. Whether the aliens show up or not, I think that would be a great look for you. Okay, so <laughs> you know, my uh, in fact, I might go that way too. I, not everybody can pull that off, but Giorgio can, and I think you could. So you know, give it a give, talk to Sherilyn, obviously, uh, but uh, yeah, give it yeah, a little take. Uh, a, get some get some clearance, and uh, and then go for it. Right. Well, for one thing, okay, we don't know when the aliens are going to show up, Stephen. And the thing is, it's going to take at least a few weeks, if not months, to get your hair there. So I think you, that's right. That's right. So I need. So, so that when they come around to interview people that you know might have some idea what's going on, you know, I, I can look the part. <laughs> we'll, we'll want you, yeah, we'll want you in the in in the right. Uh, yes, we want to position you exactly right for that. Okay, that's perfect. All right, man. Well, that's going to have to do it. We have had a great week. Our good news of Palooza comes to an end, but don't worry, the world transformed goes on. We are going to be back next week with three brand new shows talking about lots more. Great stuff going on in the world. Stephen, it's been a blast doing that with you this week. Look forward to doing it again next week. Look forward to being with you all. And until next time, live to see it. 